not only in the floods, in the fields, in the mountains, we sing before the Lord, but every single heart would sing because of the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Yeah, okay. My apologies. So Acts 10, we'll begin at verse 30, verse 34. Acts 10 is a great transition in the book of Acts where the Lord makes clear to Peter that the gospel is for the Gentiles, not just for the Jews. And from that moment onward, the gospel goes forth to all nations in a very powerful way. One commentator uh, mentioned in regards to this passage that we were about to read, it is a great hour in the progress of the gospel. And may it be so here tonight as well. So verse 34, hear the word of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people, and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believes in him shall receive remission or forgiveness of sins. So far God's holy word. O beloved congregation, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we are beginning a relationship together as pastor and congregation. We have already heard that this relationship, this new relationship, is about the preaching of the gospel. The gospel in all its parts is, is what, and in all its fullness, is what I am called to bring to you on the pulpits, in the classroom, and in my visits together with you. It is appropriate then, in light of that, to ask the question, what is the message of the gospel? And it's an important question. Because, you see, we're not born knowing the gospel message. That's why every generation, also our children and our grandchildren, need to hear and to learn the gospel. But it's important for another reason. Because even when we have learned it, 
even when we do know the message of the gospel, and even when we have believed it by grace through faith, we can still so often live as if we've never heard it. We can live as if it doesn't matter that much. We can live as if it's about who we are and what we do. We can live in doubt, in doubt about God, in doubt about ourselves and our standing before him. That's what makes our text, Acts 10, verses 34 to 43, so relevant to us here tonight as my ministry among you begins. You see, Peter's sermon to Cornelius and his household teaches us and reminds us of what the gospel message is. So taking as our theme from verse 36, the gospel message of peace through Jesus Christ, we hope to see with God's help three things about the gospel that we always need to remember and believe and live out of. First, the gospel is a message sent by God. Second, the gospel is a message about Jesus Christ as the all-sufficient and all-glorious mediator. And third, the gospel is a message that proclaims the forgiveness of sins to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. So if we put it all together The gospel message of peace through Jesus Christ is a message sent by God about Jesus Christ as the all-sufficient and all-glorious mediator that proclaims the forgiveness of sins to everyone who believes in him. Well, Peter says very plainly that the gospel message is a message sent by God in verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching, literally proclaiming the good news of peace by Jesus Christ. Peter is about to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his household, but he begins by reminding them of this great reality. The gospel message is a message sent by God. And this is a both, both a gracious and a solemn reality. In the first place, it is a gracious reality. You see, the peace that the gospel proclaims is, is first and primarily foremost peace with God. But that peace, congregation, is a peace, it's the very peace that we have broken and that we have forfeited by our sin. By Adam's disobedience in Eden, we committed treason against God. We chose to align ourselves with Satan and rebelled against the perfectly good and perfectly righteous God. None of us deserves to hear the gospel. We deserve hell. God does not owe it to us to send us the good news of peace with him through Jesus Christ. And yet, he does. Matthew Henry puts it this way. It is God himself who proclaims peace, who justly might have proclaimed war. It is God himself who proclaims peace, who justly might have proclaimed war. What's more, he sends the gospel not just to the children of Israel, but to all nations. That's what Peter finally understands in verses 34 and 35 when he says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. 
Peter's not saying here that fearing God and working righteousness makes us worthy of acceptance with God or even worthy of hearing the gospel. No, he's simply stating that he finally understands that God has his people in every nation, not just in Israel. And and so he concludes from that, the conclusion from that is very obvious as he begins to preach what? The gospel to Cornelius and to his household. He understands, you see, that God's sending of the gospel is not based on nationality and it's not even based on covenant status. It's based on grace. This reality that the gospel message is a message sent by God himself is a gracious reality. And don't we as pastor and congregation need to be reminded of that? You see, we have a tendency to take hearing the gospel preaching for granted. We have a tendency to value other things in life as more important than the gospel message. But dear congregation, the reality is that we don't deserve to hear this preaching of the gospel. The reality is that I don't deserve to be a preacher of the gospel. Yet God has, in the exceeding abundance of his grace to me, put me into the ministry. And he has put me here in the Bethel Free Reformed Church of Monarch in the exceeding abundance of his grace to all of us. Oh, let that humble us. Oh, let that fill us with thanksgiving. And oh, let it make us embrace and treasure the message of the gospel because it is a message sent by God in his marvelous, glorious grace. But this reality, the fact that the gospel message is a message sent by God, is not just a gracious reality. It's also a very solemn reality. You see, it it makes what we do with the gospel so very serious. God will not be mocked. And he makes this very clear in the book of Acts when the Jews resisted the preaching of the gospel that they heard. A few chapters later, in Acts 13, Paul says to the Jews who resisted the gospel in Antioch, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves worthy of un, uh, unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. How solemn that is. The Jews lost the hearing of the gospel because of a refusal to believe it and to live by it. Let us beware of this as pastor and congregation. You know, we get message, messages, lots of messages on our phones and maybe to free up space, we, we delete some every once in a while. We delete the, the messages that we think are not important, that we don't need to keep. But beloved, don't ever do that with the gospel. Don't ever try to delete it when you hear it. God may not send it to you again. But let us instead then believe the gospel God sends us. Let us live by it and let us pray much that God would help us together as pastor and congregation to hold this gospel high. Let us pray that I as your pastor would never corrupt or twist or confuse or deny or dishonor the gospel in any way. 
And let us pray that we as congregation would receive the gospel as a message sent to us, not by a man, but by God. Yes, let us pray that we would receive it with faith and with joy and spread it to those around us. But how can we believe and share the gospel unless we know who and what it's about? And that brings us to our second point. The gospel message is a message sent by God about Jesus Christ as the all-sufficient and all-glorious mediator. Peter makes this very clear already in verse 36 when he says that the gospel message of peace is a peace by or through Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel message is about Jesus Christ as our mediator. Children, what is a mediator. Well, maybe you can think of an example. Maybe in your home when you are, you are fighting with your, your brother or your sister and, and somebody has to step in, maybe your parent or an older sibling. They have to step in and they have to restore peace between you. A mediator is someone who brings people together who were at war with each other, who were at enmity. A mediator is the one who becomes the means of reconciliation, of restoring peace and fellowship. In congregation, that's what Jesus Christ is between God and us, between God and sinners. But what kind of a mediator is he? Well, Peter brings out at least four things about Jesus in verses 36 to 42. First, he's the mediator with universal authority. He is Lord of all. Peter says it at the end of verse 36, meaning that Jesus has the authority as very God and a real righteous man in one person to bring peace between God and people from every nation. His authority also as mediator extends, as the song puts it, far as the curse is found. Jesus Christ is a mediator with universal authority. And he is the mediator with almighty power. In verse 38, Peter describes how after John baptized Jesus, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. The Father poured out his Spirit on his Son and equipped him with his own almighty power. And the proof of that is in what Jesus did. As Peter goes on to explain, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. What greater display of power can there be? Jesus Christ's congregation has almighty power. Peter and the other apostles witnessed it. They saw it in action. They knew and they could testify there is nothing too hard for him. But Peter tells us even more about Jesus Christ as mediator. He is the mediator with divine approval. And Peter explicitly highlights this several times in his sermon. If you look, if you just skim through it, you can see how many times God comes into the picture as he describes Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. Verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And again, God was with him. God approved of him in his life. 
and he approved of him even in his death. Peter goes on to describe how the, how the Jews, they, they slew him and they hung him on a tree. But then he goes on in verse 40 and he says, Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly in verse 41 to witnesses chosen before of God. God approved of Jesus' death because his death is the only and most perfect sacrifice and satisfaction for sin. Do you see Peter's point here, congregation? The message of the gospel is about Jesus Christ as the God-approved mediator. And the pinnacle of his approval really, really comes in verse 42, when, when Peter describes how Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He is the mediator with the final word. There is and there will be no other judge but him. No one and nothing else will have the power and the right to determine where we go. Congregation, what all this means is that Jesus Christ is the only and the all-sufficient and the all-glorious mediator. That's what the gospel message is about. He is all sufficient to bring peace between you, between God and you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, and whatever you feel like tonight. You are not out of his reach because he is a mediator with universal authority. You are not too great a sinner because he is a mediator with almighty power. You are not beyond God's acceptance of you because he is the mediator with divine approval. Beloved, in light of all that, we cannot, we may not, and we must not ignore him because he is the mediator with the final word. Oh, then let us be humbly thankful for this gospel message sent by God about Jesus Christ as the only and all-sufficient and all-glorious mediator. Yes, and let us receive him and cling to him by faith. How dreadful it would be to have to meet him as judge without ever having received him and embraced him as your mediator. Today, congregation, tonight, Christ offers himself again to you in your need, whatever it is, as the all-sufficient and all-glorious mediator. Have you taken him as your own? If you have not, won't you do it now? Won't you do it tonight before it is too late? And if you have, won't you rejoice in him and won't you follow him through him, through him, through whom and by whom we have peace with God. But maybe you are here tonight and you say, how how can I be sure? How can I be sure that I have peace with God or how can I be sure that I can have peace with God? Well, we can be sure because of what Peter says in verse 43. 
to him, to Jesus Christ, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive remission, forgiveness of sins. The reason we can be sure of peace with God when we trust in Jesus Christ is because, and here we come to our third point, the message of the gospel is not only a message sent by God, and it's not only a message about Jesus Christ as the all-sufficient and all-glorious mediator, but it's also a message that proclaims the forgiveness of sins to everyone who believes in him. And beloved, that is the proclamation of the gospel, a proclamation that is most certain and most inviting. It is a most certain proclamation because it is the consistent proclamation of God. To him, to this Jesus Christ, give some, give most, no, give all the prophets witness. Peter is referring here to the entire Old Testament scriptures, which are written by many different men under the inspiration of the Spirit. But all of them, he says, are saying the same thing. They are all testifying, and they are testifying as a spokesman of the God who cannot lie, that everyone who believes in him shall receive forgiveness of sins. The gospel proclamation of forgiveness is most certain. Isn't that such a comfort? when the sins of long ago or when the sins of not so long ago come up and stare you in the face? Am I forgiven? If I am believing in Jesus Christ, yes, I am. And what an encouragement then to those who, are, who have not yet believed that if you believe, you will be forgiven. It is most certain and it is most inviting. You see, the forgiveness of sins is exactly what we need because that is our sin. Your and my sin is the very thing that separates us from God. It's the very thing that makes us guilty in God's sight. But in the gospel, God comes and he proclaims forgiveness. He proclaims to guilty sinners, condemned sinners, not guilty. And he restores them to fellowship and to peace with God so that they also begin to live in, tr in true thankfulness to him and love to him and to their neighbor. But you know what else is so inviting about this gospel proclamation? It's a forgiveness of sins that we receive through his name. Through the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, this forgiveness is a free gift. A free gift because God himself has already paid for it. He paid for it with the blood of his own dear son. And what that means, congregation, is that there is no one here who is too unworthy to receive forgiveness because we do not earn it. We can never earn it. It's a gift of God. Oh, how inviting this proclamation is. Also because it proclaims forgiveness to whoever believes in Jesus Christ. It's not a proclamation to strong believers. It's not a proclamation to assured believers. 
It's a proclamation to whoever believes in Jesus Christ, whoever is trusting in in him and not in themselves. Oh, congregation, do you hear the invitation to all, yes, to each one of you and to me to trust in and to entrust yourself to for the first time and continually to Jesus Christ? Then, yes, then, yes, only then, but most certainly then, you will receive the forgiveness of sins, and you will have peace, peace with God. Beloved congregation, this is the message of the gospel, a message sent by God about the all-sufficient and all-glorious mediator, Jesus Christ, that proclaims the forgiveness of sins to everyone who believes in him. This is the message that I am called and privileged to bring you in the pulpit, in the classroom, And in my visits with you, it's a message I need. It's a message you need. It's a message we all must receive and believe and live out more consistently. If that is the fruit of my ministry here, then it won't be because of me. It will be because the Holy Spirit is at work. Just as he worked through the gospel message, this very gospel message that Peter preached to bring Cornelius and his household to himself. So let us humbly ask him to do this, not for our glory, but for his. Amen. O Lord, our Father in Christ Jesus, who is a God like unto you, pardoning iniquity and passing by the transgression of the remnant of your heritage? Who is a God like you who retains not his anger forever but delights in mercy? Who has promised to turn again and to have compassion on us, and to subdue our iniquities and cast them in the depths of the sea. Who is a God like you? We stand in awe of your grace. We stand in awe of your mercy. We stand in awe of you as the triune God of our salvation. And we come before you this evening in the beginning of our of our relationship as pastor and congregation to seek your face, to plead with you, to pour out your spirit and to make make it a, a great hour in the progress of the gospel. For your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, as an extension to our prayer and, and in praise to God, let us sing from Psalter 176, 176, all the verses.
Our doxology will be Psalter 427, verse 6. Receive now the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. On behalf of the consistory and congregation, I may welcome you to our congregation as our pastor, <clears throat> our pastor and under-shepherd. We rejoice and give thanks for God, to God for guiding you and inclining your heart to come to us and to serve us. In this service, we have now become your flock, and the Lord has called you with the help of the consistory to care for these souls to preach the word to them and teach them and point them to Christ, the Savior of sinners. As you minister among us, it is our prayer that you will see fruit on your labors, that you will be encouraged and strengthened, that you may receive times of rejoicing when souls are won to God's kingdom, when prodigal sons and daughters may return and all glory be given to God. And in those times when the calling and the task to preach may seem impossible, in those times when you are saddened, 
with those in the flock who are hurting and suffering. When you are burdened, as you may see members stray away, may you receive wisdom in speaking. May God's word be opened to you to provide counsel. And may you be given to much prayer for this flock pleading on God's promises. Reverend Overdoon, through all that may lay before you as you start your ministry among us, may the words of Psalm 27 verse 14 be your guide and your comfort. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I also want to welcome your wife Mandy and your children Mateo, Lisa, Nigel, to our church family. May the Lord bless and keep you also as you get to know us and grow with us. And may you be richly blessed under the ministry of your husband and father. And congregation, may we continually remember our pastor in our prayers, asking that the Lord will bless him, strengthen him, and equip him to bring the gospel to us each Lord's day that through all his work among us, God's name would be honored and his kingdom extended. I also at this time want to acknowledge the many letters of congratulations and greetings that we have received from the churches throughout the FRC for this special occasion. I will not read them at this time, but I will pass them along to Pastor Overdoon for his safekeeping and as a memento of this day. I also want to thank everyone who has had a hand in organizing and preparing for this evening. Thank you very much for your time and efforts. I would like to now ask Reverend Niels, our church counselor, to come forward to speak, and then I would like to ask Reverend Schumann to speak on behalf of the Theological Education Committee and Synod, and finally, Reverend Jeff Overdoon to give some closing remarks, and we will close the evening standing, singing Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. Reverend Overdoon, as Monarch's counselor, I signed your calling letter, and I did that in the strangest of places. It was on the hood of my car. We didn't do the modern digital thing. Marvin came to Julia's house, and there in the driveway, I signed the letter on the hood of my car. And I remember thinking as I signed that letter of this very large congregation and of this young candidate fresh out of seminary. And I remember thinking, how is he going to handle this? And I come to the conclusion, you can't. But the God who calls you, equips you. His Holy Spirit will enable you. His Son, Christ Jesus, is in you. So you can, but you can't, but you can in Him. And you have the gift here in this church of a very 
supportive consistory. And I would urge you, dear young brother, lean on those elders and learn from them. My experience with working with your brother Joel in Ontario for a few years and with your father here for the past year and a bit is that these overdunes, they are full of energy. It seems they never stop. But I found out that behind that outward energy is a deep dependence. So they are energetically dependent or you could say dependently energetic. And in that sense, Brother Jeff, we want to welcome you too, to Alberta, where until recently, three of the four congregations were vacant. As of tonight, there's only one left who still has a candidate coming. So by the end of the year, Lord willing, there will be no vacant churches in Alberta. Welcome to Alberta. Welcome to Combined Consistories West. The congregation of Cornerstone FRC in Black Falls welcomes you too and wishes you the Lord's richest blessing. And Mandy, you didn't marry a pastor, but here you are, a pastor's wife. And the life of a pastor's wife, Mandy, can be so joyful. There are times when you will share your husband's joy. There are always going to be times, too, where you will share his sorrows. And there will be times where you will think, why did we do this? In those times, remember the text that I gave to your, your husband. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches, in glory, by Christ Jesus. Mateo, you're just a little fellow, but you've gone through many changes in your young life already. Even just think about moving a little bit. I think you moved from Ontario to Michigan, back to Ontario, now to Alberta, first to Nobleford, and pretty soon you have to move again. That's the life of a pastor's kid. That happens. I hope you don't have to move from here. I understand that your great-grandfather was a pastor. And I know that your grandfather is a pastor. And now your dad is a pastor. And I hope and pray, Mateo, that you will be praying now already from a very young age that you may become a pastor too. Because that is the highest calling a man can have on this earth. That's, that's more important than being the president or the prime minister. It's being an ambassador of the king of kings, and what an honor that is. What a privilege. Congregation of Monarch. In the form, it says, Receive the word which your pastor shall preach to you, not as the word of a man, but as it is in truth the word of God. Your pastor is going to hear, as he walks out these doors sometimes on a Sunday morning, he's going to hear comments from people talking to each other out there. And sometimes people will be saying, what a sermon that was. Wow, what a preacher we have now. Those kind of comments might make him feel good for a little while, but won't do him any good. Don't, don't do that. 
What will really benefit your pastor is if he hears comments like I heard at our church a little while ago from one person talking to another saying, what a savior for such a sinner. That will be profitable for your pastor. Thank you. Dear Pastor Overdune, last uh, evening, yesterday evening, I uh, had the privilege of addressing uh, your closest colleague, uh, Pastor Marek, on the occasion of his installation and ordination to the ministry, and I may do so uh, with you tonight, and there's obviously going to be a bit of overlap uh, between my comments to him and my comments to you, uh, but I've tried to tailor-make my comments as much as I could. It's uh, my privilege to address you uh, on behalf of, first of all, the Theological Education Committee of our churches. I, as you know, serve as the chairman of that committee, and it has been a wonderful privilege for us as a committee to oversee your studies over the last four years. And like Brother Maurick, you have been a conscientious and a diligent student. You worked hard and you excelled in your studies. In fact, I can say uh, without any disrespect to Pastor Maurick or to any of the other students who have graduated recently or a long time ago that you have been uh, one of our more gifted students, uh, certainly in the last number of years. And that was especially noticeable in your preaching. We have heard uh, reports uh, from the congregations where you preached uh, that he preaches like a seasoned preacher. Uh, that is um, very true. I heard it tonight. And that is a great gift. And the Lord has given you many gifts. And to him we give all the glory I mentioned also last night in Calgary that at your graduation from PRTS, Dr. Beakey gave each of the students a name in the style of Pilgrim's Progress, a name that summarized the character of the student as a man and as a man of God. And I don't know what name Dr. Beakey gave to you, but I know the name that I would give to you. Um, actually, there were several names, and I had to pick one. Um, and the one that came uppermost in my mind is earnestness. You are Mr. Earnest. That also comes out in your preaching. Uh, tonight was an earnest presentation of the gospel. And that is a very positive quality in a minister of the word because we are dealing with never dying souls who are heading to an everlasting eternity. This pulpit is not the place for jokes, for being lighthearted. It is the place to be serious 
with the souls of men and women and children. And I pray that you may never lose that. And that the Lord would only increase that sense of heavy responsibility that we all share as ministers of the gospel. And that would come out also in your preaching. Dear brother, we rejoice with you as a committee. The Lord has uh, given you the desire of your heart after many years of studying. You are now a minister of the gospel. But as I said again last night, this part of your formal training has come to an end. But now, it must also be said, you still have a long way to go. You are a minister, and yet, not yet. Um, I feel that I said that last night after 22 years in the ministry. I, I feel like I'm just begun. And I have so much more to learn. And, and no seminary can teach you that. No professor can teach you that. Only the Lord can teach you that. By his word and through his Holy Spirit. And the ups and downs and the joys and the sorrows and the trials and the triumphs of ministry. And I trust that he will do that for you as well. Let me also say a few words to you on behalf of the Synod. I said last night that I have not been officially appointed by the Synod to do this, but I don't think anybody is going to mind because somebody has to do it. So it might as well be me, and I'm here now. Um, You're not only a minister in the congregation of Monarch Alberta, but you're also a minister in the Free Reformed Churches of North America. The denomination that you grew up in, that your father grew up in, And if I'm not mistaken, your grandfather also grew up in. And we as churches welcome you into the federation, into the ministry of our federation. And we all pray that the Lord may richly bless your ministry. We look forward to your involvement in denominational activities. You're going to be going to synod and combined consistory meetings, and we hope that soon you too will be appointed to various denominational committees, maybe one day theological education committee. I never thought I would ever be the chairman of that committee, and here I am. Um, And there's a lot of work to be done in our federation, good work. Sometimes it can be tedious, sometimes a little frustrating even, Um, but it is necessary work. It is the work of the Lord, and we look forward to your contribution uh, in that area. Also, on behalf of the churches, I want to express our joy with you, Congregation of Monarch, in the fact that you have received yet another minister of the gospel to labor in your midst. Since Pastor Mordike left for St. Thomas about two years ago, you called several ministers, and every single one of them declined. And I'm sure that the thought was going through your mind, will the Lord ever send us another minister? I know that thought crossed my mind as well. Well, tonight he has. And he has given you also the desire of your heart. And therefore rejoice and be thankful to the Lord for what he has given to you. And support and pray for your pastor and his family, and above all, pray for him fervently. Somebody said last night, I think it was Pastor Niels, that when you pray your minister full, he will also preach you full. And every time you say to yourself, I got nothing out of that sermon, just ask yourself the question, how much did I pray for my minister this week? As he's laboring in his study, working on yet another sermon.
May I also add a few personal words as the former pastor of this congregation. No, I'm not listed as such on the program, but I can't help but say a few things. And the thing that I want to say is the most obvious that you're a long way from the east, Jeff. Uh, You are now in the west. Um, And I don't mean just geographically. I mean culturally. Uh, Because the folks here in southern Alberta are a little different uh, than what you and I are used to in the east. I won't say how they're different. I'll let you figure that out on your own. And I don't want to get into trouble tonight. But they're different. They're unique people. Um, And it'll take some time to get used to them and to understand them and to understand where they're coming from. It took me some time as well. But I'm confident that you will over time. And I'm confident that you will come to love them as I also came to love them and still do love them very much. The needs here are great as they are in every congregation and there are some who struggle with coming to faith in Christ there are some who struggle with living out of Christ there are some who sadly and we have them in every church there are those who are indifferent to Christ and you need to minister to them all and you did that in your sermon tonight and I urge you to keep doing that keep sowing that seed. Um, If you preach a rich Christ for poor needy sinners, I know that's something of of a trite expression in our churches, but it's a very meaningful one. You preach the love of God and the willingness of Christ and the ability of Christ to save to the uttermost, that becomes so irresistible to people that You see, after a while, you see all those walls breaking down and all those objections falling away. I saw it many times in my ministry here, and it was one of the most rewarding aspects of my time here. And I pray that the same may be true for you. I was going to say a few words also to your wife Mandy and your children, but that's already been said, uh, so I'm not going to repeat some of the things that have been said, but I do want to give one final word uh, to Pastor Hans and to Nellie uh, Overdune. Um, it's a special occasion for you, an emotional one. I, I could sense that a few moments ago. The second son of yours is now a minister of the gospel in our federation. That is an amazing thing. It's not very often that we come across such a phenomenon where two men uh, are ministers at the same time and their father is a minister and their grandfather is a minister and you can't help but see something of the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. And I know it's not your doing, Pastor Hans. You would be the last person to say that and so would your wife. Uh, It is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And to him we give all the honor and the glory. I think it's also a special occasion for you in this sense that for the past two years, this was kind of your second congregation. I can't imagine how many miles you put on going back and forth between Calgary and Monarch in the dead of winter with that 
wind howling on the west and blowing your car across the highway. I remember those days well. And um, you did a lot of work here, teaching catechism classes, confession of faith classes, preaching here, administering the sacraments, how many babies were not baptized uh, during the past two years. And now you may be free of that responsibility. And you may hand it over to your son, which is extra special. And we pray that the Lord may also bless uh, your labors here in this congregation and bear much fruit to the glory and honor of our God. Thank you. Dear congregation, before we close this evening, I would like to express my thankfulness to all those whom God has used in various ways to bring me to this point. So first of all, I want to thank those who have been involved in my training over the past few years in, in the minister, for the ministry, and in particular, the Mitchell Free Reformed Church and Consistory who confirmed my sense of call and encouraged me to go to seminary, as well as the professors and the staff and the fellow students at PRTS. I want to thank those who mentored and prayed with me in Grand Rapids, both formally and informally. In particular, Pastor Ian McLeod, Dr. Jerry Bilkis, Dr. L. W. Bilkis, Dr. Kelderman, and Dr. Cranendonk. I also want to thank the Theological Education Committee for all their help to me in the past few years. And most recently, Pastor Mordike, during my internship in St. Thomas, I'm grateful for our friendship and for the lessons I've learned from you and that were reinforced to me tonight. Thank you for your willingness to come and lead the service and for your much-needed and much-appreciated words of admonition and encouragement. My family and I also want to thank the Grand Rapids and the St. Thomas congregations for the warm welcome and fellowship we enjoyed during those years that we were with them. I also want to acknowledge all those of you who are here tonight as visitors, whether from southern Alberta or from far away, thank you for coming and for your support. To my consistory and congregation, the Bethel Free Reformed Church of Monarch, thank you for everything. A few months ago, I visited you and preached among you at the consistory's request for the very first time. And now here we are again, my family and I as members and myself as pastor, Thank you for the call that you extended to me. And thank you, too, for all the love and the care and the, the, the patience and support that you have shown to us and also in helping us to get settled in the last few weeks. And we look forward to getting to know you better and to working with all the brothers in the consistory going forward, Lord willing. Thank you, too, to all those involved in planning, organizing, and running of this evening so that everything ran so smoothly. Thank you to Elder Marvin, Pastor Schumann, and Pastor Niels for your comments and encouragement. To my broader family, Mom and Dad Kenyon in Mitchell, Ontario, thank you for your support and prayers for us. It is not easy for you to have to be so far apart from us. Please know that we appreciate very much the difficult sacrifice that you have been willing to make. To my parents, Mom and Dad Overdue, first of all, Dad, Thank you for participating in this evening and being willing to do that. 
It is a special thing, as has been already mentioned, for both of us. And I'm so thankful that we both know and confess it is only because of God's grace in our lives. You have taught me much, much, not just as my dad, but also as my pastor for many years. It is a great honor to follow in your footsteps. Mom, thank you for being a godly mother. I've watched you follow, follow and help dad in so many ways in the work of the ministry. And it was busy, and yet you were always there for me and were always willing to listen. Thank you. To my children, Mateo, Lisa, and Nigel. Mateo, your name means gift from God. And you truly are a son. Just as Lisa and Nigel are. All the moves in the last few years have not always been easy, nor those evenings when I've had to say I'm going away. But I'm so thankful for how God has helped you and continues to help you. Always remember his care. His care for you is perfect. I apologize. Dear Mandy, six and a half years ago we went out on our first date. And I asked you then already if you'd be willing to be a pastor's wife. And you said yes. It's been a long journey and it's not always been easy. And yet you are here. And you loved and supported me every single day. Thank you. Congregation, God's ways are often mysterious. But they're always marvelous. And so let us praise and glorify him, the triune God, for the way he has brought us together as pastor and congregation. And let's do that now standing with the doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Thank mm-hmm. you.